everybody's touched by privacy. It is not something that is siloed in one single function. It needs to be shared across the organization. Oh, the regulators are telling me to do this. No. Now the customers are, are expecting a company to take care of their privacy, to take care of their data. Now the investors are looking at how companies are sharing and processing and transferring those data. What I would say for companies that have a very confidential data is really trying to get hacked. Why? Because... Are you ready to know what you don't know about Privacy Pros? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to the Privacy Pros Academy podcast by KZNT Privacy Experts. The podcast to launch, progress and excel your career as a Privacy Pro. Hear about the latest news and developments in the world of privacy. Discover fascinating insights from leading global privacy professionals. And hear real stories and top tips from the people who've been where you want to get to. We're an official IAPP training partner. We've trained people in over 137 countries and counties. So whether you're thinking about starting a career in data privacy or you're an experienced professional, this is the podcast for you. and welcome to the Privacy Pros Academy podcast. My name is Jamila and I'm a data privacy analyst at Kazian Privacy Experts. With me today is my co-host is Jamal Ahmed, Fellow of Information Privacy and CEO at Kazian Privacy Experts. Jamal is an astute and influential privacy consultant, strategist, board advisor and Fellow of Information Privacy. He's a charismatic leader, progressive thinker and innovator in the privacy sector who directs complex global privacy programs. He's a sought after commentator contributing to the BBC, ITV News, Euronews, Talk Radio, The Independent and The Guardian, amongst others. Hi, Jamal. Jamila, amazing to see you again. I hope you're feeling much better than you were last time. I'm good. How are you? Fantastic. I am looking forward to getting into the mind of a privacy solutions engineer today. Why don't you tell us more about our guest? Yes. So our guest today is Valentina Ranieri. Uh, she serves as a principal solutions engineer at OneTrust, the number one most widely used privacy security and third party risk technology platform. In her role, Valentina supports many of the world's leading organizations on general data protection regulation and e-privacy solution implementation. A Along with hundreds of the world's privacy laws focused on formulating efficient and effective responses to data protection requirements, as well as building and scaling enterprise level privacy programs. Valentina is a certified GRC professional and fellow in privacy, and she earned a Master of Science in Management from Imperial College London. Hi, Valentina. Hi, Jamila. Hi, Jamal. Thank you for having me. Thank, Thank you for coming to share some amazing uh, value to the world. Yes, I'll try. And as we always do on the Privacy Pros Academy podcast, we start off with an icebreaker question. So, Valentina, do you have a New Year's resolution? Gosh, love this. Well, I have. I actually have two. One yeah. is stop drinking alcohol. <laughs> um, yes, that is my resolution. And um, the second one is actually doing more volunteering. So these are my two main ones so for the next year. 
Oh, I love that. And what kind of voluntary work would you think you'd be inspired to do? So I've been working in different charities, especially with kidney-related problems. Charities, I'm not really sure mm-hmm. how to, to say it in a nicer way. So I'm going to be doing that probably. I'm going to come back to do that. But also, I've just been asked to take part of the Technical Education Advisory Board for T-levels, like A-levels, apprenticeship, oh, and so nice. on. I think I will be doing that as well. So trying to kind of like use my skills to help others. So. That's great. Wow, the T-levels are like revolutionizing the education for 16 to 18 year olds. So it'll be. Yeah, we're trying to. <laughs> for somebody ignorant like me who has no idea what T-levels are, is it replacing A-levels when you talk about 16 to 18 or? Yeah, they're more like technical focused. Ah. So it's to kind of like build out that workforce that is more technical rather than like, you know, they're not replacing like English or math, of course, yeah. but they're giving like the more technical people, uh, technical uh-huh. skills, uh, sorry, to those yeah. kids. Yeah, it's between like 16 and 18. Okay, great. Because we yeah. have a massive uh, talent gap when it comes to uh, especially the technical skills here in the UK. So it's good that yes. you guys are going to be making a positive impact, which is not only going to help the young people of this country, but also economy. And I look forward to some of those individuals making some amazing contributions to the world, just like um, so many years ago when we had a Brit who invented the internet. So yes, yes, exactly. And there is a lack of like resources and workforce that know how to be a technical support, how to translate technical problems in business uh, decisions. Uh, Yeah, those like are quite uh, quite important skills to have. People, so I volunteer with young people, help them with CVs, help them into work, help them with homework. When I ask them what they want to do, they say, I want to do something in tech because they know that tech pays well, but they've no idea what's out there. No, like their parents would have no idea or the people, are, their teachers even will probably have no idea what's out there. So I think that's really cool. Absolutely. Jamila, just send them, send them to me. Uh, we always need <laughs> Jamila, I'm curious, do you have a New Year's resolution? Well, for like the last seven years, my New Year's resolution has been to do a cartwheel and I still can't do one, so I'm going to try that again. Do you know someone who knows how to do cartwheels? Yeah, my niece, like my five-year-old niece. Okay, are you going to ask her to coach you to do a cartwheel? I do, but then I need somewhere with a soft landing. Because she can trampoline park. That's it. That's our next um, team team outing is going to a trampoline park. And you can do a New Year's resolution. Okay. And what's yours, Jamal? I, I don't do New Year's resolutions. Instead, one of the things I've been focusing on is who do I want to become? Like, what is my next best self? And creating an identity. Because, look, resolutions are meant to be broken, right? That's, that's why people have resolutions. But when you look at uh, the uh, the kind of science behind habits, so you can have habits, which is things you do, but that's not enough. Then you have to create systems that support those habits. And to really be able to create effective system that so- supports those habits, you have to have the identity. So I focus on identity and I'm uh, in the middle of working, uh, actually, when I'm doing speaking with my wife about who we want to be next year and what those identities should be. Because when you have the identities, everything else becomes easier. So I could say my New Year's resolution is to go to the gym, but go to the gym for what? And then I'll probably get demotivated and end up back where I am now. Or I could say my New Year's resolution is, or my my new identity is, I'm a healthy person. So that means I'm now going to make conscious choices about what I eat, what I consume, the calorific values, and how much exercise I do, and whether I go for a walk in the morning, and how I kind of get a massage and reward myself, and just to focus on not just health physically, 
but also mentally because health is physiological, isn't it? So uh, I think shifting our identity is super powerful. And so for everyone who was listening or looking forward to hearing about my New Year's resolution, I don't actually have one. I'm thinking about identity. Love it. So that's a very good way of, of looking at it. All right, let's get back into privacy. <laughs> Valentina, why privacy in the first place? What attracted you to privacy? So I, I always wanted to work in tech. I'm just taking like uh, one pointer from uh, from your uh, from the kids in your help, <laughs> and I like the fact of like. Uh, basically going into a growing sector, which is a direct tech kind of thing, right? So like having like the compliance, privacy translated into a technology or to actually use the technology to help with compliance and privacy. That was the first thing. The second thing, I always kind of like wanted to have a job that helped people. Um, I've always wanted like a second uh, reason to do business and there are lots of companies that do it so well and so clearly i mean like look at patagonia for example like mm -hmm. every profit they make they dedicate it to a specific uh, environmental um, issue so like it's amazing what they're doing obviously like you can't there are not that many companies out there that do it but the idea of privacy is that you're actually helping people protect themselves and it's not that maybe a physical threat but it is the more like psychological threat when it comes to like privacy because lots of people are ignorant about what how companies or how certain influencers and i'm not saying about fashion friends i'm saying <laughs> negative of course influencers can actually like manipulate the technology to you know to make them do or think or uh, you know obtain into something so for me it was like a way to help people protect themselves and then i think i get bored quite easily so i always like something changing so yeah. it poorly keeps you on your toes right like there is always like a new regulation a new guidance coming up and you have to study all over again so i think that's uh, super great yeah i liked what you said about wanting to help people and yeah patagonia something i heard about recently is all the the work they do the chart. I think it's it's great. Like you know, those companies like it clearly they clearly send a message. But I like the fact that with my job, but with what I know and how I can help people, I can actually like make a difference. So yeah. That's like my my main thing as well with privacy. Yeah, definitely. And speaking of risk, uh, you speak at a lot of events and conferences. What advice would you give to someone who is looking to do that with their career and to start speaking at events? How did you get into it? Um, well, I do like to speak, so that's probably <laughs> like the first thing on the reason why I got into it. I think like some recommendation or advice that I can give is kind of like, you know, privacy um, as a market, uh, as a sector, as an industry is quite big as my broad so i would probably like suggest to anybody that wants to get into it to find a topic that they really love um they're passionate about um for me for example is cyber security i really love it um and i'm passionate about it they said that i read the news i try to like you know find out what happened with some of the, the breaches what are the trends or the threats for the new year and so on so I would say, like, find a topic that you really like. 
Second one is um, always bring it to real life examples. Like one of the things that I sometimes go on talks is like very theoretical. There is never like, you know, something that can say like, oh, you know, I've just talked to for an hour about this. Here an example. Like here is what happened to other people. So I think that's super key whenever you do talks because people are going to remember the examples. They're not going to remember the theory. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last one is start small. So I started with my privacy, my first privacy connect, which was after like two weeks of joining one trust, which is very fast, yeah. maybe a bit too fast. And, <laughs> um, and it was a very good learning because I prepared a lot. I studied a lot to it for it. And then at my seventh privacy connect, I was, it was so natural that I was even like, Oh, I have a press tomorrow. Okay. Let me go into it because you're so used to it. You're confident. So the suggestion I will give is start small. And one of the key um, places that I would go is actually the YAPP knowledge net. Um, those are in every city. Um, you just can reach out to the chapter of that specific city. Mm-hmm. You can go maybe like be in a panel first instead of like going, you know, doing a solo session. Um, but totally I would start to like that. Awesome. Wow. Such value there. So Valentina's top tips for anyone who is looking to increase their personal brand, who's looking to grow their personal brand and become known as the go-to person in your industry or for your niche. Uh, she's She's got three key points. Number one, she says, it starts small. Um, look for the smaller gigs you can do and then build yourself up. That will also give you time to practice, to really get your head around this and really figure out um, what you enjoy doing, what you don't enjoy doing. And she also gave a really good example or really top tip for what to do when you're speaking. Facts tell, stories sell. So the stories that you tell people, that's going to resonate better with them. They're going to remember that more. And it's going to make you much more of an engaging speaker. So focus on that. And the third uh, kind of thing you said is you can go and focus on knowledge net chapters. IEPP have them, Privacy Connect have them. And I think they have a chapter chair and some sub chair. So it's also a great opportunity to network and also to really get yourself uh, visible for sharing the message or whatever it is you're passionate about. And also, one thing I've kind of almost forgot about, or you said, Valentina, was it's important to stay relevant. Like, what is happening? What are the latest trends? And make sure that you can add value and you have something important to share with people. And people will not know what's going on, and they're going to seek to look at you for that source of knowledge, and you'll be able to really uh, help them because you're up to date and you're relevant. Absolutely. Lovely. I think that's um, good advice for anyone wanting to give talks, no matter what sector they're in. Valentina, what do you think the biggest challenges are for you in privacy, but also cybersecurity at the moment? So let me start uh, with privacy, because although they are, let's say, within the, the same kind of sector, they're very different when it comes to like trends, right? So in the, in the privacy world in 2023, for sure, there's going to be a, a, a big year for regulations. So there's like going to be an increased regulatory complexity, given by the fact that we are going to have the CPRA probably coming up. We're going to have the sunsetting of the party cookies on most browsers. We are going to have a much more rigid 
much more rigid control over cross-border transfers. I mean, like the actual deadline is the end of this year, but most companies probably are going to like extend or make sure that they're going to be ready for the new year. Uh, there is also new privacy regulations in China. So as we can see in the world from like literally east to west, we are mm -hmm. seeing like a lot of complexity. So there is going to be a need of uh, uh, having uh, obviously a technology to help out uh, in managing all of the different aspects of the law. Um, there is also like a lot of like data technology uh, changes right? Because now we're not all talking only about one team. It is never the, only the privacy team involved in this, but there is the privacy team, there is the procurement team, there is the, the marketing team. Everybody's touched by privacy. It is not something that is siloed in one single function, but it's a shared, it needs to be shared across the organization. So in here, we can look at some challenges on the, on the technology part, of course, but also the amount of data that you need to obviously share, share around. I think the last one, I could talk about this for hours. I don't want yeah. to like, it's probably like the fact that there is a race awareness around from, from stakeholders perspective. So it's not anymore only, oh, the regulators are telling me to do this. No, now the customers are, are expecting a company to take care of their privacy, to take care of their data. Now the investors are looking at how companies are sharing and processing and transferring those data. Then we have, uh, um, you know, even employees, they, uh, they want to work with an ethical company. So all of those are like fundamental and they're going to be really changing the way that boards as well and leaderships uh, look at privacy, uh, invest in privacy. And it's going to be interesting, I would say, year for it. That's for sure. Yeah. I'm going to continue for the cybersecurity. I mean, there are like lots of these trends, obviously, like they go in cybersecurity in a different way because the cybersecurity we've seen, especially in the last year and even more we're going to be seeing next year, is a couple of like more than trends in cybersecurity. I talk about threats because we have companies that need to be aware of them to to make sure they are prepared for it. So the preparation and being ready for something to happen, for something bad that's going to happen is fundamental to make sure that there is not that damaging of impact. Mm. So the first one is ransomware. Like we've seen, like how many ransoms have you, have you guys heard in the last like six months? Uh, thousands, but I'm talking about thousands. So there is like literally like 7,000 per day. Okay. Like, Obviously, yeah, it's like a huge amount and it's growing literally every single day. Not all of them, of course, are successful, but there is always a threat of, mm -hmm. right? So the ransomware is, is, a, is a key. It's key for, uh, for an organization to be prepared. You can't really avoid it. I mean, lots of clients tell me like, yeah, yeah, you're talking about ransomware a lot, but like, how can we avoid that? Can you really? My suggestion is to, for sure, get a hacker and try and tell that hacker, try to penetrate all of my systems. And then I'm going to use what you found out to put up all the technical measures that I need. Yeah, you just spoke about um, what can companies do to kind of protect themselves about cyber security. And you kind of scared uh, 
all our listeners a little bit by saying there's 7,000 attempts a day. Um, now, when you're talking about getting a hacker to try in, is this what we also know as penetration testing and the red team style of penetration testing? Yeah. I mean, it's one way, right? So penetration testing kind of like goes through the vulnerabilities within the system mm. um, and usually is done like by the IT team. What I would say for companies that have a very confidential data is really trying to get hacked. Why? Because uh, they are going through other tools as well. It's not only about looking at the vulnerability from an IT perspective, but you're going to maybe more like social engineering. Mm -hmm. So trying to get through phishing. So understanding it there as well, like how prepared is my workforce to deal with a phishing attack? Do they recognize it? Do, do they know how to? And if they don't, you know what to do, right? You can do a training. Like that's the easiest thing to, like, yeah. the easiest thing to fix because that's like literally underestimate all of, all of it. But you know, like that could be like something very, very easy to do. Mm. Mm. Yeah, like a very easy first step. Let's make sure we are all aware of what to look out for and how to respond when we deal with these. So then we can prevent the attack rather than something that we actually help uh, the hacker with through the exactly. whatever phishing or social engineering methods. And they're getting more and more innovative with how they're collecting information and how they're getting little bits of information to be able to get more information and more information and then launch some kind of an attack on it. Yeah, but the most, the also the interesting part is we always think about like, you know, the cloud, uh, or they can attack us in the cloud or in our infrastructure in the IT and so on. And nobody actually think about the physical environment. So the end of data are somewhere, right? And there was a very interesting, uh, well, sorry if I say interesting, but actually like something bad that has happened <laughs> to um, the Brighton Essex University in the UK. Uh, it was like, I think at the beginning of, of this year, mm -hmm. they basically did not destroy around 300 hard drives uh, and they, the thieves stole the hard drives. So were able to access the data within those hard drives and sold them eBay. Wow. Obviously, the university was charged, was fined because those hard drives should have been destroyed. But as you can see, the physical is super linked to the actual cyber part. So there is a very key part of cybersecurity, which is the physical security. Uh, they're so interlinked now that you can't just separate them anymore. Mm. Yeah. And I think what's also really interesting what you said there, uh, Valentina, is a lot of people, when they actually think about the threats and the challenges and compliance, they focus so much on the middle of the life cycle rather than the full life cycle where we're at the point of collection, what actually threats and vulnerabilities and also at the end. And this is a pure example of where the university haven't actually thought through the full life cycle and they've just been irresponsible with the way they've left those hard drives. What practical and pragmatic tips can they take to really make sure they don't overlook it and they are doing the right thing to avoid becoming the next story? Well, in my opinion, like having uh, visibility into the life cycle of every single asset within your organization is fundamental because then you avoid the, those things. So this is the first thing. The second one I will, I will be like testing of effectiveness of your controls. So it is not enough to say, oh, I'm using ISO and I'm using ISO in 
XYZ, the process XYZ um, asset, but it is, uh, is the control from ISO actually effective for your organization? Have you implemented it correctly? Um, which is something that a lot of companies struggle with, right? Especially if they don't have the right tools. The third one is for me, straining, like enabling your workflow, workforce, making sure that they have a risk mindset, that they know what to do if a breach occurs. So uh, not hide it, but they, they are, you know, comfortable in saying, yes, I need to report this breach because yes, I clicked on this link. And I think like this is something that uh, all organizations should deploy, like it's literally a cultural change in a way. Okay, great. So three, three super uh, tips there from Valentina of how you can really protect your organizations and your employers and your clients even. So she says, first thing is awareness. Be aware of all of your assets, be aware of all of your processing activities and make sure you look at the full life cycle. And then Valentina says, the second thing is effectiveness. Okay, yes, you might follow certain standards, you might follow certain frameworks, you might have certain measures in place. But actually, she challenges you to think how effective are those things for you to be able to achieve what you set out to achieve to begin with. And finally, she says, look, easy win. Make sure everyone in your team is empowered because your team is only going to be as strong as the weakest link. And if people don't have the right understanding of what is an incident, what is a breach, and when that happens, what the follow-up is, and that they don't actually feel comfortable and they have fear of reporting those things, then it's going to be a big problem. And the easiest win you can have is deliver good training, back it up with adequate awareness. And if you need more help, get in touch with Valentina, get in touch with us. We can definitely help you to empower your teams to do that. Valentina, I have a question for you. So uh, a lot of uh, people we speak to and a lot of um, the community that we have at the Privacy Pros Academy, it's all really focused more on the business side of things. And recently, um, as we've introduced the CIPT, uh, the ultimate CIPT training for non-techie uh, professionals. We're getting a few more solutions in the engineers, architects coming through. What advice do you have for someone who is looking to pivot their technical background towards a privacy career? Oh, that's a very interesting, uh, it's a very interesting question. So their technical background into the privacy. Um, it depends always what kind of technical background I would say. So I think like in the privacy world, you if you have a technical background, you can straight go into security for sure. Because security at the end is about like security people used to be like very IT focused guys, right? Mm -hmm. Now, like the security guys are actually part of the board. So you from a technical background, you have the ability to understand the technical pieces, right? But what you will need to work on is uh, translating those concepts into business challenges, into business results, into business impacts. And that's something that, for example, from a technical, people that come from a technical background struggle because they're like, yeah, but, you know, this is how it is. What technical is like, yeah, I get it. But what is the value of the business, right? What is the impact that the business could have? On the other side, if you are more like a technical background, such as like a, a you know a graphic or graphic designer or something that you want to basically use your technical skills to build something creative, 
privacy garden is a great place to be because we're talking about cookies, we're talking about consent, we're talking about marketing preferences. So you can really use your tech background to provide customers with an easier to use interface, for example. So again, going back to what I said at the beginning, helping people, helping people understand what the privacy is right what kind of cookies there that they are opting into and which ones are you know marketing preferences they want all of this that can actually be built out in the background that we need like of course a technical passer to do so okay awesome and my next question as a follow-up on that is when you're looking to uh, expand your team or hire people into your team what are the top three qualities you look for Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So first one, um, the, the top quality that I would go for is actually like the perfect hybrid between sales and tech, which I know is super difficult, but you need to have a well-diverse team. So you need to have some team members who are more salesy, let's say, and some that are more technical. If you are too technical, if you're too salesy, that is not going to work for the role that you are supposed to be. The second one is, well, from a solutions engineering perspective, is being able to, to understand the value of the technology for a business. It's not really a skill. It's about like going a bit deeper, right, mm-hmm. into what does the market want? What are the challenges and why my technology is relevant? So in terms of skills, I would be critical thinker, mm. right? When it comes to a technology, I didn't actually never thought about it in these kind of words, but that, that is helping me demand by the way, because I'm like, what do I want in a team? <laughs> um, Your answer is helping hundreds across the globe. I think, right now. That's good. That's good. And I think the third one being a team player, like as a solutions engineer, you really cannot do it everything by yourself. You need help from product. You need help from sales. Your job is being not only like part of the team, but sometimes even the leader of a team. So you need to have that intrapersonal skills to be able to receive feedback, give feedback, and making sure that everybody's working towards a common goal. All right. So, um, Valentina, your top three qualities that you look for in an individual is, number one, a balance between um, their technical abilities and their, shall we say, persuasion and influence abilities. Because sometimes... I, I find that people in the UK don't necessarily like the word salesy too much. Uh, it's something that people shy away from. But um, one of my mentors, he, he, he taught me a lesson very early on. Um, and he said, look, why do you have such a problem with sales and using the word salesy? Everyone is always selling. You, if, if you go to an employer, you're selling them that they should pay you, whatever it is, to be able to do that job. If you go to an interview, you're selling them the idea that you're the best candidate there. If you want to get married, you're selling them the idea that you're the best choice for them to spend the rest of your life with. So everybody's always selling something. And he said something to me that gave me a really profound uh, understanding. He said, when, when you grow up, um, so this can tell you how old I was when I had this mentor, <laughs> and maybe I'm still growing up, Jamila. Huh? Um, so he said, look, when you grow up and you have children, the only thing that's going to depend on whether your children end up on drugs or not is who's the better salesperson, you or the drug dealer. And that really had a big impact on me uh, because 
where I grew up in the East End of London, everybody around me was either selling drugs or taking drugs. And one of the things I took inspiration from was the people that were using drugs is no matter what happened, they did not question where their next hit was coming from. They always found a way. And one of the things I mentioned, I think, on the webinar is I then said to myself, <coughs> I'm never going to let a drug dealer outwork or outperform me. <laughs> right? So two, two, two great lessons from there is, look, everybody's always selling. And you need to get good at persuading and influencing people, provided that you lead them to the correct and ethical outcome. And you said trust is a very important thing. So bringing this back into what um, Valentina has been so kind enough to share with us is there needs to be the right ability between sales and technical. If you're too salesy, you're going to push people away. So you're not going to be able to make the impact. If you're too technical, you're going to lose people because they won't understand why they should buy in to whatever you're uh, offering. The second biggest quality or the second uh, strong quality you look for is their ability to apply critical thinking to the challenges that are existing out there and then to be able to say, okay, how does the technology or how can I now add value to solve those challenges and how can I bring this technical solution to solve the problem that we see out there? And finally, you said it's all about the soft skills, the interpersonal skills, the ability to work in teams, the ability to lead, the ability to really make an impact on the people around you by having the right attitude and making sure that you show up with the right activity. Have I understood you great uh, right there, Valentina? Perfect, Jamal. Perfect. Yes, absolutely you did. Thank you. <laughs> no, thank it, you. There's some amazing to... This question really helped me to understand what am I looking really in a solutions engineer? And I think that could actually help other people when they're applying to it. Am I the right person for it? You know, because the, it's always like this, right? We, we are selling the company and uh, the solutions engineer or the candidate is selling it to us. So, mm. Yeah, exactly. Valentina, <laughs> what's your most memorable client story that you've got that you can share with us? My most memorable story. So um, I actually have a very good one. These guys came to us uh, last, the beginning of last year. I remember, it was like the first call that I took in 2022. And they are a big company that sells and produces sports equipment. Um, and they were looking for a solution uh, for a specific framework. Okay. So they, were, they came in, they were like, we want this. This is what we have in PowerPoint. This is what we want to do within the tool. And I'm like, okay, fine. Let me study it. So let's see what I can do with it. So I studied it and presented it to them. And, uh, you know, like, I'm now that you've talked to me for like half an hour, you can see that I'm kind of like always asking, joking, <laughs> laughing, and so on. And the, the funniest thing was that uh, we were exactly, exactly the tool for them. Like it, it seemed like they built out the use cases on our uh, tool. So I was very comfortable when I was presenting. I was like, look, I'm not even gonna ask you if you like it because that's exactly what you need. And the guy was like, look, I, I could stay here hours asking you stuff, but like just the way you presented it, your confidence in like, just buy it and you're not gonna regret it. I need to buy it from you. <laughs> and uh, one of the feedback that he gave when obviously like a, a commercial cast, of course, this was like the beginning, but then we went into a proof of concept and everything. And one of the feedback that he gave was like, look, one of the reasons I came for you with you guys is because 
I liked it, you know, I liked the, the, the personal relationship that we've built. So lots of times like people underestimate this, like, you know, selling uh, or persuading, if you want to use another word, is a lot, is about people, right? Everything, all business is about people. You need to interact with people. And at the end, like the people that like you could only be a benefit, could only be like something positive. Um, and he did. So at the end, he signed. Now they've been client for a year and they are super happy. So at the end, it kind of like turned out all good. Great job. And you know what you did in that story, Valentina? You gave us insights into how you actually demonstrated all three qualities that you spoke to us about. <laughs> that's true. Oh my God, that's so true. Thank you. <laughs> no, you are awesome, Valentina. I love it. Thank you. Valentina, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you so much for sharing all of your valuable insights with uh, our audience. On behalf of everyone at the Privacy Pros Academy, uh, a massive thank you to you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so much fun. Thanks. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, like, and share so you're notified when a new episode is released. Remember to join the Privacy Pros Academy Facebook group where we answer your questions. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you're leaving with some great things that will add value on your journey as a world-class privacy pro. Please leave us a four or five-star review. And if you'd like to appear on a future episode of our podcast or have a suggestion for a topic you'd like to hear more about, please send an email to team at kzient.co.uk. Until next time, peace be with you.